This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. When Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were on the Mount of Transfiguration, they talked about Jesus' death on the cross and what impact this has on those who are his followers. This morning, I want us to consider one of those tremendous truths which grows out of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. In the eighth chapter of Romans, Paul talks about the relationship that we have as children of God. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to this passage. Let's look together at what it means to be heirs of God. I want to read from Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 12 and going through verse 17. I'm reading from the contemporary English version. My dear friends, we must not live to satisfy our desires. If you do, you'll die. But you will live if by the help of God's Spirit you say no to your desire. Only those people who are led by God's Spirit are his children. God's spirit doesn't make us slaves who are afraid of him. Instead, we become his children and call, out, call him our father. God's spirit makes us sure that we are his children. His spirit lets us know that together with Christ, we will be given what God has promised. We will also share in the glory of Christ because we have suffered with him. The subject of an heir to a great fortune is the theme of some of the world's greatest literature. All the world seems to love a person who receives a great amount of money, whether it's through a lottery or maybe one who's entitled to a large estate on the death of a benefactor. When we hear about an heir who's going through legal proceedings, we sit back and wait, just watching to see if that heir will get the inheritance, which is rightly due. On a wet, gloomy day in Philadelphia in the year 1931, there were probably only a dozen or so people who attended the funeral of a lady whose name was Mrs. Henrietta Garrett, an 81-year-old lady. And out of that dozen or so people who came to her funeral, only two of them could even remotely be classed as relatives. But when the court broke the news that this dear widow had left no children, but she did leave a will, and she left a fortune of $17 million. I say she left a will, that was wrong. She did not have a will at all. And since she didn't have a will, things really began to happen. Thousands of people hurriedly rose up to call her blessed. She became one of the most beloved women in all the world. And within 25 years of the date of her death, her estate had grown to about $30 million and no less than 26,000 people had claimed to be her heirs. There are so many people today who are heirs to a great fortune in money, but who have never collected. But there are even more people who are missing heirs to a great inheritance from God. These are the Christians who seem to have no sense of inheritance. Christ comes to place his hand on our shoulders and say to us, you are an heir of God. 
Come, claim your inheritance. But before we can claim our inheritance, we should know what our legacy is. What is our inheritance as Christians? Paul gives us a clue in the passage I just read from Romans chapter 8. Now it's beginning to come to light. Paul tells us that as Christians, we inherit several things. First, a father. When God created each of us as earthly children, he saw the need of having not only an earthly mother to give us life, but also a father to give us guidance and strength. It is within the plan of God that our earthly fathers fulfill this function. There comes a time, though, when each of us has to grow up and mature to the point that we see that no matter how good or how wonderful our earthly fathers may have been, yet they all have flaws within their lives. When a child comes to the stark realization that his parents are not perfect, they do have clay feet, then this is the time when there's that deep-seated need within a person to transfer that loyalty from earthly parents up to somebody who is perfect. So many children these days are not blessed with having an earthly father or one who's not in the family, not in the home. And so they have to make a giant leap from where they are to a heavenly father. That's so hard to do if they don't have an earthly father as a stepping stone. Here's the place where God comes to our rescue. As children of God, we inherit a father who is perfect in every sense of the word. God takes the place of our earthly father. He becomes our heavenly father. And the model prayer which Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray our father who art in heaven. I've heard our foreign missionaries speak in the past of telling about people in distant lands who would pray to stone images uh, decorated with thousands of lights, images which are sometimes tall and magnificent. But these stone gods cannot possibly be called father. They're man-made, impersonal, unresponsive. One of the most heartwarming things I ever saw during the days of my student pastorate when I was in the seminary in Kentucky, I had a church about 65 miles out of Louisville. And when I was pastor of that church, there was a young lady there in our church who had two small sons. This young mother had separated from her husband during the early life of these boys. And they had never known the love of a father. As I visited in that home from time to time, I could almost feel the yearning in the hearts of those two boys reaching out to me to supply that much-needed father love. They seemed to attach themselves to me. They, they would cling to me. They wanted the love of an earthly father. Happily, the day came when this mother found a Christian young man who took the place of the father for these two boys. And the change that came over those boys was almost miraculous. You could even see it in their faces. It was a wonderful change. It should be one of the most comforting of all the thoughts we ever have to know that we have a Father in heaven who is constantly watching over us. We sing in one of our hymns, I trust in God wherever I may be, upon the land or on the rolling sea. For come what may from day to day, my heavenly Father watches over me. 
He makes the rose an object of his care. He guides the eagle through the pathless air. And surely he remembers me. My heavenly Father watches over me. I trust in God. For in the lion's den, on battlefield or in the prison pen, through praise or blame, through flood or flame, my heavenly Father watches over me. The valley may be dark, the shadows deep, but oh, the shepherd guards his lonely sheep, and through the gloom he'll lead me home. My heavenly Father watches over me. I trust in God, I know he cares for me, on mountain bleak or on the stormy sea. Though billows roll, he keeps my soul. My heavenly Father watches over me. But we have something else in addition to having that wonderful gift of having a father. The second thing I would say is we inherit a family. When we come into the family of Christ, this is another wonderful part of our inheritance. We inherit an entire family at one time. You see, if God is our father, then we are naturally brothers and sisters in, this, in his family. Sometimes I think that we all come to the point of feeling that church members and fellow Christians act too much like ordinary brothers and sisters. But we are sometimes guilty of saying and doing things that are unbecoming to this family spirit. Have you ever observed how it is in a big family? All the brothers and sisters may seem to fight like cats and dogs, but you just let an outsider, somebody from another family come along and say something bad about one of these brothers or sisters, a great transformation occurs. Almost instantly there's a oneness and a harmony about those brothers and sisters which had better not be violated. They'll be very, very quick to tell you, look, I can fuss about my brothers and sisters, but you'd better not have anything bad to say about them. Well, those of us who are in the brotherhood of the family of Christ should likewise have this unity in our family. Why is this so necessary? It's because there's another family in this world which is at the throats of our Christian family. That is the family of the devil. And he is always there. But oh, how often we have seen that someone who professes to be in the family of Christ will be the one who acts the least like a brother or sister. If we cannot live together as brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, the sons and daughters of God, then how can we say we're still God's children? You see, if I renounce you as my brother or my sister in Christ, I have not so much excluded you as I have renounced my relationship to my Heavenly Father. What an important thing to remember. Well, let me mention just one other thing that we inherit as we come to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And that is a future task. And this is a task which is not always easy. In the last part of the 17th verse that we read earlier, we, we learned that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if so be that we suffer with him. Now who wants to suffer? Most of us just want to line up and hold our hands out to receive all the sweet, wonderful blessings that God is waiting to give us when we come to him. But to suffer? That's contrary to what many people feel is a part of the walk with Jesus. 
One of the most popular and widespread misconceptions of following Jesus is that if we follow him, if we become his heirs, then all's going to be easy for us, simple, no problems, no disappointments, no hardships. Well, folks, that kind of thinking is just not what God promises. When Jesus gathered his listeners about him one day, he began by telling them what things they would have to endure if they followed him. Strangely, he introduced this by saying, these are the people who are supremely blessed. Who were they? Those who were poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. And then Jesus came to that last group of folks that he named, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. You know, I was reading the Beatitudes just now. Jesus said at the end of these Beatitudes, blessed are ye, blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I like the way one translator uh, uh, paraphrases this verse. In my opinion, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has in store for us. In the Revelation, the last book in the Bible, John writes to the Christians saying, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. That's a symbolic number, I'm sure. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation 2, verse 10. If you'll notice carefully one little word there, he does not say until death, but rather unto death. I think there's a difference in those two words. This means that we're to be faithful not merely until you die, but even though it may kill you because you're faithful, make whatever sacrifice is required, even die before you'll be unfaithful. Doesn't mean you're going to live a long, peaceful, happy life and, and you're still faithful. No. Be faithful unto death. William Stidger tells about a young boy who had grown up in a church where he was pastor. When he became of age, this young man joined the Navy. One night his ship came into Boston and this fellow visited his former pastor, Dr. Stidger, where uh, he considered to be his close friend throughout the years he was in the Navy. So during their visit together, <clears throat> Dr. Stidger said to him, Bill, I want to ask you a question. Tell me if you can remember the most exciting experience you've had thus far in your military service. Well, the young Navy man seemed to hesitate for a moment. It was not that he had any difficulty in selecting the most exciting experience. Rather, the experience he had in mind was so wonderful and so sacred he had difficulty in putting it into words. It seems that he was the captain of a large transport ship and along with a big convoy, he was making his way across the Atlantic one time. 
Well, during one of those voyages, an enemy submarine rose suddenly in the sea close by. Bill, the captain, said he saw the white mark of a torpedo coming directly toward his transport ship, which was loaded with thousands of men. There was no possible way for him to change course to avoid a direct hit, and so he shouted through his loudspeaker, Men, this is it. Nearby was a little escorting destroyer, another ship. The captain of that destroyer also saw the submarine and was aware that the sub had fired a torpedo. Without a moment's hesitation, that captain of the destroyer gave the order, full speed ahead, into the path of the torpedo, went that little destroyer, and it took the full impact of that deadly missile. The destroyer was blown apart, sank quickly, and every man aboard was lost. For a long time, the young man who was relating this story to the preacher remained very silent. And then he looked at his former pastor and he said, Dr. Stidger, the captain of that destroyer was my best friend. And then he was quiet for a while and he slowly said, you know, there's a verse in the Bible which has special meaning for me now. It's this, John 15 verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And my dear friends, those of us who have received Jesus Christ as personal Savior can rejoice that we are now heirs of many divine blessings because we've been given a father, a family, and a future task. May God give us the grace to be found faithful to the task to which he calls us, and that we may prove our gratitude to Jesus for the great, rich heritage that he has given to us. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. It's only through him that we have life. And we pray that those who are listening right now, however it may be, may renew our vows of love for him, or for one who has not made that commitment, may this be the time. Thank you for loving us as you do, Lord, for giving your life on that old rugged cross to save us from our sin. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.